Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've chosen to wrap my sermon around our gospel passage, and in doing so, there is a challenge with that choice because of the fact that it's so familiar, that it's actually at times hard to say anything new that hasn't already been said. I was told of this at our family dinner the other night when we were all eating a meal, and I just happened to mention to my family that I was um, going to be preaching this Sunday. Pure silence. And then someone laughed and then said, um, and shouted out, Dad, everyone knows that story. What are you going to say that's not already been said? Whoever said that, I've decided I'm going to take them out of my will. <laughs> the truth is, that's probably real, realistic for uh, most of you, if not all of you here, that you know this story, it's familiar to you. So I wouldn't blame you if you were thinking as I'm sharing, then why in the world would you even choose this story? Well, I think the answer lies at the border of California. Let me explain. A number of years ago when we lived in California, Delia and I and the kids were coming home from a family vacation. We were traveling through Arizona and to California and we were stopped at the border going into California. And one of the things they ask you at the, at the border is if you have any fruits or vegetables that you are um, to declare before coming into California. As we pulled up, the officer told us to roll down our window and then looked me straight in the face and said, do you have any fruits or vegetables you'd like to declare before coming into California? I looked at him very confidently and said, nope, nothing to declare. Now, prior to that statement, Adelia and I had been driving and we were about probably an hour out of the border and we've been talking to one another about this question that was gonna be asked and we both realized that there was a banana on the front dashboard of our car. And so we both had been discussing this, this story and saying to one another, hey, when we get to the border, we need to make sure either eat that thing or like hide it, throw it away, do something, but we, you know, shouldn't just leave it up on the dashboard. And so when the officer looked at me again, kind of a little bit amused, but also annoyed, he said to me one more time, do you have any fruits or vegetables that you would like to declare? And I once again just smiled and very confidently said, nope, we're good. <laughs> and then he said, well, what about the banana sitting on your dashboard? <laughs> to which then I said, oh, yes, that, sorry, yeah, yes, I do. And I think this really um, is a great way to, to describe our passage this morning from the standpoint of how we might perceive and actually view this text in our own lives. Meaning that there are times, I think, in our lives where we know something. 
It's clear. It's right in front of us. And yet at the same time, even though we've talked about it, even though we've discussed it many, many times, we still can actually miss that thing that's sitting right there. Whether it be just a sense of familiarity or just maybe a a lack of caution or whatever it would be, I think that is the case, at least with this passage for me. So this evening, what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time road tripping through Gabriel and Mary's conversation while stopping along the way to point out three apparent pieces of fruit sitting on the dashboard of this particular passage that we, as Christ followers, can use along our journey. I call these three pieces of distinct piece, or three distinct pieces of fruit, an extraordinary miracle, an extraordinary response, and last, an extraordinary companionship. I'd like to go back and reread a portion of the text found in verses 31 through 35, and I invite you to open your bulletin and follow along with me. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the children, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God has used pregnancy as a conduit to send a signal to his people about something he's doing that would be what I call ginormous or new. Let me give you a few examples of what that might look like. In the Old Testament, we read about Abraham and Sarah, and while they were as old as dirt, and I said that this morning and no one laughed, so I'm beginning to think that's not funny, or if you are old as dirt, you don't think that is funny. God gives them Isaac, who would start a whole new nation. We also see Hannah, an aging and barren woman, and yet God gives her Samuel, her son Samuel, who would be the last of the judges and anoint the first kings of Israel. And now we see in our passage We're referenced into the text Elizabeth and Zechariah, two elderly barren people who God gives them John, who we would know as John the Baptist, who would be the last of the Old Testament-style prophets. While Mary's miracle pregnancy follows this very similar Old Testament rhythm, it goes way beyond those patterns as a signal that a Messiah, not just a mere lawgiver or a prophet, but the Messiah is about to arrive, God takes a young, poor, common, anonymous, peasant, unwed virgin mother and has her become pregnant, not by a husband or a boyfriend or a fiancé, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Such a pregnancy had never occurred before or has since. And it happened only to Mary. And this extraordinary miracle is a signal that God is on the move. 
and is about to do something more extraordinary than he's ever done before by giving us the king of kings whose kingdom will never decay or end unlike others, by giving us the greatest ruler that not only Israel but the entire world would ever see, by giving us a Messiah that would not only save his people but all of humanity. I love what researcher and professor of scripture, Dr. Brian Petrie says, Jesus Christ is the only founder of any major excuse me, any major world religion who has ever pre-announced. There's no prophecy of Buddha that Buddha fulfills. There are no prophecies of Muhammad that Muhammad fills. Jesus Christ alone has not just one, not just two, but dozens and dozens, even hundreds of prophecies from the Jewish scriptures that are fulfilled in his life, in his deeds, in his words, and in his passion, death, and resurrection, which gives us motives of credibility for believing that claims that he makes about himself in the Gospels themselves are true. So that's something about an extraordinary miracle. Now I want to talk about an extraordinary response. Looking at verse 38, we're told by Luke of Mary's quiet, humble, and willing response to God's calling on her life. Verse 38 reads this, and I invite you to look as I read. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you look up that same verse in the Old King James Bible, you'll read this. Behold, I am, instead of the, um, um, the servant, handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to thy word. A handmaiden means a slave girl. A slave girl was the lowest kind of female servant, which in this case portrays complete trust, humility, willingness and sacrifice from Mary's side as she lays down her life and her future for this holy task God is calling her to. So true confession here. To be honest, I'm, I'm jealous of Mary and her response. The fact is, I'm not always great when it comes to responding to God. In fact, there are plenty of times I find myself saying to God, are you sure? Exhibit A. A couple weeks back, Pastor Ethan texted me and asked me if I'd be willing to preach this Sunday. <laughs> and like a good director of family ministries, I tried to get out of it. I texted him back saying, I think someone else would be a much better choice. True story. He then texted me saying he'd really like me to preach. I texted him back. Are you sure? He then texted me back. Yes. <laughs> I then texted him back, saying, being that it's an election year, I vote Dr. Shepson or Deacon Eric should preach. I even thought about um, throwing Sarah Potter into the mix. <laughs> His response back to me was, I vote Steve, and as the rector, the rector's vote always counts the most. <laughs> So apparently this is true for last. Here am I. <laughs> Have you ever said to God, I'm all yours, thy will be done? 
I have. It's absolutely terrifying. The gravity of Mary's situation is this was a major interruption and would be, for her, a change forever. Mary's response might have been a humble, willing yes, but as a preacher once said, it was a messy yes. What do I mean by a messy yes? Well, I've got to imagine and believe that as Gabriel was speaking to Mary, Mary knew that once the word got out about her pregnancy, most people would begin to think that she had been unfaithful to Joseph and that Jesus was possibly born out of fornication. I've also got to believe that Mary must have been thinking, what would my family think? What would my friends think? What would Joseph think? In some ways, that question's already been answered as we read in Matthew that Joseph had decided to quietly divorce Mary. One writer said this concerning Mary's situation. In the strong, unpermissive atmosphere of Judaism in the first century, this would have been a shocking story, one to be hushed up so relatives wouldn't hear, and certainly not to be broadcast to the whole world. So the story, that of an unmarried girl having a baby, is not the kind of story that a Jew would have been proud of. I have to wonder, too, as Gabriel was sharing with me with Mary, if maybe Mary began her mind began to spin and possibly recall certain provisions in the law that would allow Joseph to seemingly justifiably divorce her. Or perhaps the provision of law that would allow her community to drag her out into the middle of the streets of the town, dress her in rags, and then abuse her physically verbally and physically as to make an example out of her for all the women in the town to see and understand severe consequences of being caught as a fornicator or an adulteress. Disgrace, embarrassment, shame, gossip, misunderstanding are all words that come to mind when I think about the messy side of Mary's yes. Something, something we see in Mary's life as well as with other Christ followers is that even when even when God might be doing something amazing in a person's life simultaneously, it can involve immense pain, sacrifice, and struggle. We know this because we've just spent two and a half months looking at the story of Joseph called St. Joe. And while Joseph was probably considered to be the second most powerful man in Egypt during his time, I know Joseph would say the journey getting there was absolutely miserable. I'm reminded of my roommate in college who one day we were eating breakfast together and he shared with me that he had become a, he had become a Christian at his high school youth group. And he went home to tell his parents about the good news and when they found out, they told him that absolutely under no circumstances would they ever allow a Christian to live under their roof. And that if he didn't stop becoming a Christian, he had a week to find a new place to live. And when that week was up, he moved into one of my other best friend's houses and would, 
and would fulfill three years of high school living with him. As I think about the life and times of Mary, a couple questions I find myself asking. While it was every Jewish woman's dream to be the mother of the Messiah, how, how many mothers would have wanted to handle the agony and pain to which Jesus' life would unfold? I mean, how in the world did Mary find the strength and the fortitude to handle the pain to which Jesus' life would bring her? Simeon writes this in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. What a, what a pep talk. Imagine hearing that from your doctor or someone that you, um, you had gone to to give you thoughts about your child. Your child will pierce your heart and cause you great pain because of the difficulty of his life or her life. You see, Jesus was labeled an outcast, called a friend of drunkards and a glutton, accused of having the devil and being mad, and called an ignorant Galilean. And if that weren't enough to break a mother's heart, Mary would one day have to watch her son mistreated, abandoned, made fun of, mocked, beaten, whipped, and executed on the hardwood of the cross. You see, Mary's response was yes, but it was a messy yes. So that's something about an extraordinary response, and now something about an extraordinary companionship. Finally, in the last three verses of our gospel in Luke, Gabriel completes God's errand by informing Mary of the news that her relative, Elizabeth, is now pregnant and is in her sixth month of pregnancy. Verse 36 reads, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. One of the many things that I find endearing about this passage is that God loved Mary so much, he decided to bring Elizabeth into the miraculous narrative. He didn't forget to provide Mary with an extraordinary companion. One of the things that Delia has been involved in is um, she's a small group leader at, um, for a women's group um, from the college, uh, and um, she gets together with uh, Joanna Paul, and, and they've met in the past before COVID, where they would um, run a, a small um, discipleship group of girls um, from the college, and, um, and Elizabeth Messers um, over that. And as a gift, uh, Elizabeth, along with Molly Sears, sent all the, um, all the leaders, small group leaders, a gift. And it was a, um, an Advent card uh, devotional. And there's probably like 14 cards in there that you can read each night um, during Advent. And we've really enjoyed them. And as I was putting this sermon together, I was trying to come up with a good word to describe a companion. And I um, was looking through the sorceress and things and trying to, you know, match up 
something about this. And I looked up the word friend, and I thought, no, that doesn't really adequately say what Elizabeth and and uh, Mary's relationship was. And I looked up sisterhood, and I thought, no, that's cheesy. And then I thought, well, maybe togetherness. And I thought, no, that definitely doesn't hit at the heart of what this is, um, what God's doing here. And then I saw, I thought maybe accomplice. And then I thought, no, definitely that is not the word to, um, to describe this. And then I read, um, Elizabeth's devotional and, and it, it's it used the word, um, companion. And I thought, what a perfect word to use to describe this relationship. God knew Mary would need a supportive and encouraging friend like Elizabeth. And so he didn't forget to provide Mary with an extraordinary companion. What makes Elizabeth so extraordinary is that both women have experienced similar miracles and now can relate to one another because, uh, because there's this instant bondship between one another. And let me explain what I mean by that in, in our lives and, and to relate to that. When um, Adelia was out in California and we were trying to sell our cafe, um, she was staying with uh, a, a really close friend of ours. And they, um, their family, they um, run a really highly successful sushi, sushi restaurant. Sushi, that's kind of hard to say. Sushi restaurant, and I'm Asian. Sushi <laughs> restaurant. And... Um, they, um, I say highly successful because they had opened up another, um, numerous ones before and they weren't successful. And so Delia stayed with them for majority of the time that she was out there. And um, it was an incredible gift. There were many times that Julie and I would talk on the phone and I would say, how are you doing? How are things going? And she would tell me and share that um, one of the greatest gifts God has given her is this friend of ours. She was the most incredible host. Adelia says she's the kind of host that, that, that um, Adelia's never experienced. She just was so gracious, and, and she made you feel at ease and comfortable. And Adelia said there were many times when it had been a hard day, and she felt really discouraged, and she would um, come home to, um, to our friend's house, and um, it'd be late, and she would walk through the door, and everybody was in bed, and there was a glass of wine and a little plate of cheese and some gluten-free crackers just sitting there for Adelia, waiting for her. Adelia said there were a handful of times where she, um, she would call Adelia and just say, hey, we're, we're having a family dinner. Everybody's, um, everybody's going to be there. We want you to be there. And Adelia would say, no, no, that's your family. That's, you know, that's for you guys. I don't want to impose. And she would insist that Adelia join them because she knew that Adelia missed her family. And she wanted Adelia to be a part of their family and, and know that she cared about her and that they loved her. Adelia said there were many, many nights that it was late and the, the two of them would be up and they would just be talking. And Adelia said it was extremely um, healing because this particular friend, she knew what it was like, the pains of, of, of just being in the restaurant business. And Adelia said, I, I didn't even have to tell her. She just knew. I didn't have to explain it in great detail. She just, she just needed to look at me. And she knew the pain and the, and the disappointment and frustration and, and, and that I was going through. An extraordinary companion. That's probably a good way to describe what she was to Adelia. 
might be easy to look at this passage and say, well, that, that's a story about Elizabeth and Mary, and, and guys, well, you know, they don't, they don't need companions. They're, they're men, of course. We don't need companions. But contraire, mon frere, we do. <laughs> we do need companions. Just as much as Adelia needed her friend Chie, just as much as Mary needed Elizabeth. One of the things I'm so grateful about being part of the staff at Grace Church is that this staff is amazing, and I find it a privilege every day to be a part of their world. The reason I say that is because they're just so gracious. I was working on this sermon, and it was going down, and it was tanking fast. And I called Ethan on Tuesday, and I, or sorry, on Friday night, and I said, Ethan, I'm hurting, man. I need your help. And he texted back and said, Steve, don't worry about it. And I said, is there any way you can just talk me through this thing? And he said, well, let's, let's talk on, on Saturday. I will zoom, I'll zoom you through this thing. And then last week I was with Don Shepson and we were just talking about preaching on this passage. And I was telling Don the passage I was going to preach on and Next thing I knew, there was a commentary. He told me there, he had a great commentary on Luke. The next thing I knew, in my little um, cubby outside my house was a big, huge, fat, juicy commentary on Luke with a note saying, dude, it's yours. Merry Christmas. I love you. And then Eric, last week, right before church, um, when everybody, well, everybody is gone and we were turning off the lights, I said, hey, Eric. Dude, can I just run this passage by you or this illustration by you? I just think it's going to bomb. And I don't know. I just need you to be honest with me. And we just sat and he talked, talked me through it for a little bit. But not to leave you out, Sarah Potter. Last night I got a late text from Sarah saying, I'm praying for you. You're going to do great. I love you. Go get them. Extraordinary companionship is a gift from God. I want to finish tonight by mentioning one final thought concerning our passage as Advent draws to its close. I'm I'm assured once again through the reading of these 13 verses found in Luke that God's word came to Mary and she trusted it. She trusted that, she trusted that God would work in a way that was contrary to nature and normalcy. And that's what God's word is to us. I forgive you. I love you. I'll take care of it. You never have to panic about the door being slammed in your face. In Jesus Christ, all is taken care of. Hear that word, and like Mary, trust it. There is no more secure vow in the world. Amen. Amen.